This is the Timepieces History Podcast, brought to you by Gudrun Lorette, the expert in using modern marketing methods for the traditional heritage sector. Each bite-sized show shares the story of a place, person or object from the past in around 10 minutes. And now, here's today's show. Hello and welcome to the Timepieces History Podcast. Today we're looking at Bess of Hardwick. I'd love to know what you think of these episodes, so please come and find me on Twitter at GoodtonHorright or leave me a comment on your audio player of choice. Alternatively, pop a message onto the relevant podcast page over at goodrunlorette.com forward slash podcast where you'll find the show notes, useful links and an episode transcript. No email address required to access that. I went through a phase in my late teens and early 20s of reading biographies. If it wasn't rock musicians of the 1960s, it was women from history. A strange combination, I grant you. Anyway, I'm fairly sure I read one about Bess of Hardwick, or Elizabeth, Countess of Shrewsbury, around that time, but I must have borrowed it from the library, as I don't have it now. Bess was born in Derbyshire in 1527 and was married and widowed four times. Each time, Bess became wealthier and better connected, although she'd already had a good start in life. Her father was a gentleman yeoman and owned several hundred acres of land. Her first marriage, in 1543, was to the heir of a nearby estate, one Robert Barley, or Barlow, who was aged about 13 at the time of the wedding. In actual fact, they never lived together, and it was probably a marriage of convenience, although to benefit Robert's family rather than Bess's. The unfortunate Robert died a year later, leaving Bess a very young widow. A family friend arranged for her to go and stay with the Zouche family at Codner Castle, which would have eased the pressure on her widowed mother, who had three of the daughters to care for, as well as the only son. From there, Bess became lady-in-waiting to one Frances Grey, which paved her way to the Tudor court. Frances, of course, was the mother of Jane, Henry VIII's third wife. It was at court that Bess met her second husband, Sir William Cavendish, who was twenty years her senior and a widower twice over. Cavendish had been a close ally of Thomas Cromwell and remained a favourite of the king. He served as treasurer of Henry's chamber. While this marriage would have helped Bess cement her position at court, she also loved her husband and they had a happy marriage. They had eight children, six of whom lived to adulthood, and the couple were both social climbers. The Dukes of Devonshire and Newcastle are both their descendants. Sadly, Cavendish died in 1557, a decade after the wedding and leaving the 30-year-old Bess a widow for the second time. By this point, the couple had purchased Chatsworth Hall, and building and renovation work had been going on for some time. Bess had managed to get the property into joint names, which was unheard of for the time. The advantage of this was that the family was able to remain there after the death of Cavendish. As the oldest son and heir was only seven, the estates would have gone into wardship had Bess not had her name on the deeds. Bess had been enthusiastic about the works carried out on the house, and had had a great deal of input into what was done. In 1559, Bess married Sir William St. Lowe, who was even wealthier than Cavendish. St. Lowe was also extremely well-connected and close to the new queen, Elizabeth I. He got his new wife a position as Lady of the Bedchamber, which put her front and centre for a dispute that became a scandal. Jane Seymour's sister, Lady Catherine, had been closely watched since Elizabeth ascended the throne, because she too was of royal blood. She had married Lord Hertford, or Edward Seymour, in secret, and became pregnant. Edward, also a potential claimant to the throne, is described as a nephew of Jane, but hopefully not Catherine's son. Anyway, Catherine decided to confess to Bess what she'd been up to, and Bess was not impressed. 
That rhymed and it wasn't supposed to. But I digress. Catherine's unborn child, of course, was a strong contender to topple Elizabeth, who was already unpopular with the Catholic supporters of the Greys. When Catherine could no longer hide the bump, Queen Elizabeth learned that Bess had known of the marriage and accused her of plotting against her. She had both Bess and Catherine put in the tower, and while Bess was released a few months later, she was dismissed from her position in disgrace. In 1564, St. Lowe died in suspicious circumstances, and it's thought that he was poisoned by his younger brother. If that was an attempt to take over the estate, it failed, as St. Lowe had left everything to Bess. He even favoured her over his own two daughters. By this point, Bess was independently wealthy and owned a number of properties as well as Chatsworth and could have settled into a respectable, if early, retirement, overseeing renovations of her houses. She didn't, of course. In 1567, Bess married George Talbot, the 6th Earl of Shrewsbury, and became a countess. Shrewsbury owned most of the north of England and was a powerful man. Bess made the somewhat creepy decision to further secure the futures of herself and her children by marrying two of her offspring to two of her husbands. She also made sure she retained ownership of Chatsworth. Soon after the marriage, Shrewsbury was given responsibility for Mary, Queen of Scots. Forced to abdicate and then taken captive by her cousin Elizabeth I, Mary was brought to England and in need of somewhere to stay. The Shrewsburys became her captives and the unfortunate Mary spent the last 15 years of her life with them. Elizabeth I hadn't entirely forgiven Bess for the Catherine Grey scandal, but she admired her strength and resilience, and Bess proved useful. She sent her own spy into Mary's household and reported back everything she learnt. The truce was short-lived, however, as Bess arranged the marriage of her daughter, also Elizabeth, to Charles Stuart, another claimant to the English throne. Bess spent some more time in the Tower, but was eventually set free. This scandal, the pressure of having to take care of Mary, and the escalating costs of improvement works Bess was carrying out at Chatsworth put her marriage into strain and she moved back to Hardwick in 1584. Having bought her family home from the estate of her brother, who died in debt, Bess now set her sights on restoring the hall. It was completely remodelled over a period of five or six years and Bess lived there with one of her sons and his family. When Shrewsbury died in 1590, he made Bess the second richest woman in the country, only the Queen herself was wealthier. The new widow was still only in her 60s and with so much money at her disposal, embarked on a new project. The original family home, now referred to as the Old Hall, was left incomplete as Bess began overseeing the construction of an entirely new building right next door. Completed in 1599, Hardwick Hall is a remarkable piece of architecture. It has huge glass windows, a two-storey great hall and monogram towers. With that done, she spent the next nine years working on the old hall and another property nearby known as Old Coats. Sadly, there is nothing left of it today. She died aged 81 in 1608 and was buried in Derby Cathedral. Thank you so much for listening. Please tune in on Thursday for the final episode of Season 4 and let me know what you thought of today's episode. Thank you for listening to the Time Pieces History Podcast. Don't forget to listen next time for more quick history facts.